Howdy, friends, and welcome to the Old Hat Podcast. I'm James Chambliss, your host and Old Hat. This is episode 41. If I can believe what they're telling me, that means there's 40 other of these podcasts. I hope you've listened to some of them. Which one was your favorite? I have a favorite, but I'm not going to tell you about it right now. (laughs) That's a different day, I guess. Are you supposed to have a favorite of your own podcast? I don't know the answer to that. And yet, here we are. Speaking of favorites, I had a speaking engagement this week at one of my favorite schools not too far from me. It's where all my kids went, so that's probably why it's one of my favorites. And I was asked to come and speak to the assemblies at the middle school and at the high school. And that was a lot of fun. I told a lot of stories. I told them, some of them that are in the podcast, uh, The Llama King is back there somewhere, and why I think Algebra is Important is back there as well. And I also told them a story that I haven't podcasted about, because uh, one year, I ended up being the assistant middle school girls basketball coach at this school. And y'all, I have to tell you, nothing since then has changed my mind about this. Middle school girls basketball is the most violent sport on campus. You can talk about football all you want, but the middle school girls basketball teams are scary. And you know, all of the middle school girls at the assembly agreed that that was the absolute truth. Apparently, the basketball court is where they go to work out some of their frustrations. And so that's, that may be why it's a little scary. A lot of big, a lot of big emotions, a lot of anxiety, a lot of stress. They take care of it in a, in a positive, physical way on the court uh, basketball. And so you got to watch yourself when you're out there. When I was the assistant coach of the middle school, middle school girls basketball team, I was mostly in charge of crying. So if you, for instance, got a, a rebound and you turned and you shoot and you score only to find out that it's in the wrong basket. And so you come to the bench and you sit down and you cry. There I am. That's my job is to sit there and tell you. You really won't die from this, and I can prove it because I'm old and I'm here, and I did that too. You'll make it through this. You really will. And it's true. That happened several times that year, and all of those girls are still alive. None of them died from scoring in the wrong basket. So if you make a mistake in middle school and you get embarrassed, even in high school, even later in life, it'll cause a lot of anxiety. It'll cause a lot of stress. But you know what? You will get over it and you will survive it. You won't die from embarrassment. I also told a story about uh, probably the fiercest player on our basketball team in middle school. She was actually there that day. She's there most days because she teaches algebra in the school. So uh, after I told this story, she had kids high-fiving her in the hallway. They think she's pretty cool now. But when we were practicing one day, she was practicing free throws. And she kept missing. And, you know, that's what you have to practice, right, is the thing that you're not good at. You have to practice if you want to get better. So I'm there coaching, and I'm telling him, you got to practice your free throws. Well, this one girl throws the ball down, slams it into the floor, and turns around and yells, I hate free throws! Stomps her feet, makes fists, makes an angry face, and looks at me. And I said, okay, no, you got to change your attitude about free throws. And so from now on, whenever you shoot a free throw, I want you to say out loud, I love free throws. And of course, she thought that was stupid because she hates free throws. She doesn't love them, but she tried it. Okay, fine. I love free throws. And she took a free throw and it went in. And she was like, wow, her eyes were really big. And she's like, okay, I'm going to try that. 
And so from then on, whenever she had a free throw, and you know, middle school girls, basketball is a violent sport, there's a lot of fouls called, so she got a lot of free throws. And she would always say, I love free throws. And most of the time, the ball went in. Her, her average went way up after that. Well, in one game, we were playing our, you know, our biggest opponent, the people we most wanted to beat. If we lost all year long but beat them, that was kind of okay. We're playing that game, and it's down to the end, and she gets a free throw. And just before she shoots, she turns and she looks at me on the bench and she mouths, I love free throws. I can't hear because it's really loud now. Everybody's cheering on both sides. And so I can just read her lips. I love, but then she turns back to the basket for the free throws part. But I know what she said. She said, I love free throws. But she looked at me and she said, I love. And then she turned and looked away and said, free throws. Her mom and dad never missed a game. And they usually sat right behind the bench so they could talk to her when she came over there and hear what was going on, very involved. And most people think her dad is just a great big care bear. Everybody loves him. But I'm here to tell you he's an intensive care bear. (laughs) He was sitting behind us when she turned and said, I love, and then turned back and took her shot. Well, it went in. Everybody cheered, and I turned to look at her parents to go, wasn't that great? And her mom is cheering, and her dad is staring daggers at me. Why is my daughter saying, I love you? So we had to explain that it wasn't me she loved. It was free throws that she loved. And so I got to live through that game, and I'm happy about that. But there was a little bit of anxiety, a little stress involved in that. Bailey, because that was her name, still is. Bailey told me the next day, or told me later that day, the kids came into her algebra class and said, hey, you know what? Whenever we have a test, we ought to start out by saying, I love math. And she was totally down for that. (laughs) She said, you've got these people convinced I'm a lot cooler than I really am, all that. But she really is really cool. And a great algebra teacher, which you know I think is a very important thing for you to know how to do. You think you won't use algebra, and this old cowboy is telling you, you will use algebra every day of your life. You just don't know it. Go back and find that podcast if you don't believe me. And I did tell them about that. But mostly we talked about anxiety. We talked about stress. And they had plenty of it already, so I didn't need to give them any more. You probably have a lot of stress too, a lot of anxiety, certainly if you're in middle school. I don't know anybody who has ever told me, you know what, my favorite years were middle school. Those are just tough years. Some people, their favorite years were high school. Not me. When they asked me what I wanted out of high school, I told them I don't mean to be flip, but I want me out of high school as soon as possible. It was stressful to me. It was anxiety-ridden. Lots of worrying got done there. So in the assemblies, we talked about uh, how to deal with anxiety and stress, and I thought you might benefit from hearing what we talked about here on the podcast, and so I'm going to talk about it here as well. First of all, we talked about what is anxiety? What actually is that? And most people said it's worry or stress, and that's true. In uh, There's a verse in the Bible in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 through 9, and I had to pause this thing and grab my Bible and look it up for you, because I don't have it memorized, believe it or not. But I had to find Philippians really fast. And if you don't know, it's Galatians, Ephesians. um, What is it? Philippians, Colossians. So it's go eat popcorn. That's how you remember that. That's free. You don't have to charge. You don't have to pay anything for that extra information. Anyway, in Philippians chapter 4, it says, uh, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. And then here in verse 6, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. 
And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so at school, what I said was, there you go. Don't be anxious. Don't you feel better now? The Bible said don't be anxious. So now you just aren't anxious, right? Does that actually help? No. No, it doesn't help. (laughs) And so why would the Bible say don't be anxious? Well, it may be that we don't use that word the same way that they did when the Bible was written. Because I know about six words in Greek, and one of them is that word anxious right there in Philippians 4. And the the word in Greek is merimneo. It's translated as anxious, but in in Greek it's merimneo. And, And that doesn't mean worry. It means divided from or distracted from. So don't be divided from or distracted from. Does that help? Not really. Because divided from what? Distracted from what? Becomes the question. And it's not very obvious there. But the answer is God. Don't let your worries distract you from God. Don't let your worries divide you from God. Because those things happen to us sometimes. And so if I let my worries distract me from what God has asked me to do, which is to trust Him or to do right and be kind and stay humble... In Micah 6, 8, it, it says that's what's required of us. And so if my worrying keeps me from doing those things, well, that's what it means by anxious. Don't let your anxiety distract you from God and what he's told you. So there you go. Now you're not worried anymore, right? <laughs> no, that still didn't help, did it? It's information, but it's not necessarily practical. So Maybe you're thinking that uh, it would be nice if Old Hat would tell you something a little more useful than that. So here you go. Here's my shot at that. It would be a a lot more useful uh, to be reminded to calm down if it came with some advice about how exactly to calm down. So that's what I've got for you here. And it's useful stuff because if you've ever told anybody to calm down, did it work? I need you to calm down. I had a boss tell me one time, I told him, I'm very irritated. And he said, well, I don't need you to be irritated right now. And of course, that didn't help. (laughs) That was irritating too. I was still irritated. I just pretended not to be, which didn't help our relationship any. But, you know, the same with calm down. If you don't want somebody to be upset, if you don't want to be consumed by worry, you got to give them an alternative. Well, here's one for you. The Mayo Clinic, you may have heard of them, one of the more famous hospitals in the world, in America, and in the world, they offer this advice for staying in the moment. I'm going to read it to you. First of all, you sit quietly, and you look around, and you notice these things. You're using your five senses here. Five things that you can see, and they say your hands, the sky, a plant on your desk, anything you can see. I'm looking at a microphone and a cowboy hat, and a phone that hopefully is turned off or won't ring while we're doing this. Then four things you can physically feel. Your feet on the ground. Um, I'm holding a piece of paper. I've got my elbow on the desk. Four things that you can physically feel. Three things that you can hear. And y'all, I can't hear anything but me unless my shirt rustles or my chair creaks. That's I've got these headphones on and that's all I can hear. And my breathing, I can hear that too. Two things you can smell. I usually smell coffee. (laughs) That's usually always on my list. And one thing you can taste, which is often coffee for me. And the Mayo Clinic says that this exercise will help you shift your focus to your surroundings in this present moment 
and away from what is causing you to feel anxious. My own variation on it is to look for life. That's what I do. And it usually sends me outside. I'm a lot happier outdoors than I am indoors. Sometimes buildings just can't seem to hold my big emotions or it's not safe to, you know, act out on them inside. So I go outside and I look for life. And then I think about that life. And it's pretty easy to find life around here. We have a lot of fire ants in Texas, and uh, they're always easy to spot. You have to be watching for them because they will bite you, and it hurts like fire. They live about 35 days, the average lifespan of a fire ant, and so maybe that's why they don't waste a lot of time and why they don't like it when I interfere with their work. <laughs> that's why they bite me. We have a lot of birds in our yard, and we have cardinals. They mate for life. I think about that. They're never far from each other. If you see one, you'll probably see the other if you wait a minute. Or I see the big roadrunner that lives on the north side of our house, and he likes to catch frogs, and then he struts around the front yard waiting for somebody to tell him what a great hunter he is. <laughs> I think it's kind of amazing that he can eat poisonous frogs or venomous sm- snakes, and they don't bother him. So I keep an eye out for him. Now watch for the big bobcat. There's a great big bobcat. It's like a dog-sized cat running around here. I don't see him very often, but he's out there somewhere, so I look for him. I grow a lot of flowers around here, and so I look for those. And they're so delicate, and they're so complicated in the way they're put together. And I just love watching that. I've got a lot of trees here, and the breeze is blowing through them this time of year. There's life going on around me right now. And it reminds me that I need to go on right now, too. And I agree with the Mayo Clinic that staying in the now, staying in this moment, is important. You know, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, now is the time of God's favor. Well, that's where I want to be, (laughs) God's favor. If that's now, that's where I want to stay. But again, on a more practical note, I found it to be true for me that if I'm depressed, I'm probably thinking about the past, something that's already happened, something stupid I said or did, a mistake that I made, scoring in the wrong basketball go. Whatever it was, if you're depressed, you're probably thinking about the past. I know I am. And if you're worried, you're thinking about the future. You're worried about what's going to happen next. You're worried about the work that you have to do. How's that conversation going to go that you need to happen? You know, you're in trouble or whatever it is. You're thinking about that. You're worried. So the key is to stay in the now, stay in this moment, because now is the time of God's favor. And now is what we have, really. This moment is what matters because we're here in it. So then I gave them a couple more practical pieces of advice that might be helpful. If you're in high school, if you're in middle school, if you're a kid, I mean, anywhere under 21, you really ride an emotional roller coaster. Your emotions are so big. And that's a good thing. I'm proud that you can feel these big emotions because, you know, you may be depressed big now, but that means you're going to feel the big joys when they come. And they really are coming. And so it helps that you can feel those big emotions. That's a good thing. But you ride an emotional roller coaster. I mean, you, you finally get up the nerve to write that big, long text, and you send it, and they leave you on red. You know, you're really excited that you sent it, and then they leave you on red. Or they or worse, they answer, K. I just hate that. I've typed a book, and you type a letter. That's not fun. So you're really happy because you've communicated well, and then you get K, and so you're really sad, and you're up, and you're down. Or you get tickets to the great concert, and then you find out that you can't go, and so you're really excited. So it's this roller coaster. It goes up and down and up and down. And I have to tell you something about that emotional roller coaster. It's okay for you. You can do that. 
us old people, we can't do that. We can't hang with you on that emotional roller coaster. When you get older, you just can't handle that kind of shift. And so you may have noticed it, your parents, if you still live at home. You come home and you are so happy. Your parents get happy too. Your mom's just as happy as you are. That's fantastic. Yay, we're all happy. And five minutes later, you're depressed for some reason. You're angry or you're upset. It's the worst day ever. And you're sad and your mom's still happy going, no, no, we're happy now. Remember, I can't get sad. I'm going to stay happy. It's true the other way too. You come home from the worst day you've ever had and it affects your parents. And they, they're so sad because you're sad. Well, 30 minutes later, the person that left you on red all day, it turns out they were, you know, busy at the doctor, or in suspension, or whatever, academic probation, and they finally got their phone charged back up and they send you a big, long text back. Well, you're not depressed anymore. You're happy now, but your parents are just in the basement. They're just so unhappy and they can't get happy as fast as you can. So one of the things you can do that might actually help your stress is get your parents off the roller coaster. It is okay to look at your mom or your dad and say, okay, I'm riding the emotional roller coaster today. And I know that I don't need you to ride it with me. Just stand on the platform and watch as I go screaming by and just wave at me as I go. And you know what? If I start to cry or throw up, have them stop the ride and get me off. That's fair. You need some intervention sometimes with your stress and your anxiety, with your big emotions. Your parents can help you with that. But sometimes it's okay to remind them that they don't need to ride the roller coaster with you. And that can help. And the next piece of advice I have for you is the best advice I was ever given. I was 18 years old uh, when some when a woman that I just totally respected told me this, and I'm going to tell it to you just like she did me. I was finishing my EMT training. I was going to go work on an ambulance and be a firefighter, and I had finished the school with honors, and I was afraid to go do that job. I was afraid to ride in an ambulance and be the guy that people were looking to when they were hurt or sick. And I was telling her how worried I was. And she looked me in the eye and she said, you know what? You know more than you think you do. You know enough to take positive action. All you have to do in any situation is think it through and do the next right thing. And I would say that exact same thing to you. You know a lot more than you think you do. You get scared, you get worried, you get anxious, and you forget that you know all these things. So what you need to do is you need to think it through and you need to do the next right thing. And if you don't know what the next right thing is, you know what the next right thing is? Think about what the next right thing to do is. And I know that sounds like a dog chasing its tail, but it's true. You have to figure out what that is so you can take a positive action. And you know enough to do that. I know you do. There's another local high school that invites me over every year. Um, I jokingly call it James Chambliss Day. It makes me feel good. But I write a lot of poetry, and some of it's a particular type of poetry called anaphora and the English department in the freshman class at the local high school there uses my poetry and so after they've studied my poetry uh, I come over and then mostly tell the stories that brought about the poem and one of the favorite poems that they always love their second favorite their first favorite is a long list of things I learned the hard way <laughs> they have questions about that but this is a poem that I usually read to them because it's one of their favorites. And so I'm going to read it to you right now because I think it fits you too. And it goes like this. 
It's, it's called You Have No Idea. You have no idea. You have no idea how talented you are because the things you're good at don't seem hard to you. You have no idea how compassionate you are because you see all of the people you can't help. You have no idea how lovable you are because you're the one you struggle to love the most. You have no idea how valuable you are because you don't see yourself clearly. You have no idea what you are capable of because you spend too much time thinking about what you didn't get done. You have no idea how far you have come because you aren't clear yet on where you want to go. You have no idea why God would grant the desires of your heart because you don't think you deserve them. You have no idea how to give up that destructive habit because you have given it too much importance. You have no idea what to say sometimes because sometimes there just isn't anything to be said. You have no idea why your honesty seems so blunt sometimes because you think everybody can see the truth. You have no idea how to deal with evil people because you just try to see the good in others. You have no idea of wasting time on whining because you know it doesn't help. You have no idea when you're going to get life figured out because you don't understand that it's all a beautiful, mysterious adventure. You have no idea how much you are loved, so I keep telling you. You have no idea how glad I am that you are here. You have no idea. And I think that fits you very well. I am mindful of your anxiety, my friend. I know that you're stressed about a lot of things. I know you're worried about a lot of things. I'm going to try and do those things that we talked about earlier to stay calm, the using your five senses, and I hope you do that. I hope you do that as well. I'm proud of the grace with which you've carried on with all of this stress and anxiety in your world, and I'm grateful for the joys that you have found and the happiness and joy that's coming your way. Remember that you're loved with an everlasting love, always, no matter what, and the best really is yet to come.